name is Alexis Naylor and I'm your host here at Through the Creative Door. On behalf of myself and my guests, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians on which this podcast is recorded and produced. We pay our respects to all First Nations people and acknowledge Elders past and present. On this podcast, I will be chatting to an array of creative guests, getting a glimpse into their worlds and having some honest and inspiring conversations along the way. Welcome to Through the Creative Door. Hello, Josh. How are you going? Very good. I am so chuffed that I get to talk to you because you are such a talented bear. You are a very talented bear. You do lots of things, including but not limited to photos and video. I'm sure you're creative in so many different ways of your life. But I would love to come through the door of what, uh, yeah, your creative space is and, and who you are as a person and, yeah, delve into, um, yeah, Josh's creative door. <laughs> Incredible. Thank you for having me. <laughs> no worries. So one of the things that I am so intrigued about for any creative is what is for them, for you, what is your... What does a creative space mean for you and why? Yeah, excellent. Um, do you mean a creative space as in like a headspace or as in like a, like an, a surrounding? Well, I, I think a bit of both. For some, I think it needs to be a particular frame of mind and for others, I think an external um, space is something that they really need. I don't know. Do you have both? Yeah. Do you need both? I think um, I would like to have only a reliance on one like I, I studied creative writing mm. and the aim was to be able to just like sort of write anywhere like on a park bench um, or like there were uh, back when I was doing my degree the Apple shop had just opened and they were one of the few places with free Wi-Fi and people would sit hunched over laptops like just on the slight outskirts of the Apple store for the free Wi-Fi and I was like <laughs> if I could like write short stories in that sort of zone, that would be the goal. But I very quickly realized that that's not really applicable for me. I do need to have sort of like an external surrounding that, that um, creates that mood where I feel that I can be more creative or um, just think more clearly. Um, and so I think like there, well, what I ended up doing, uh, finding out was that I, think very clearly in cafes. Um, so I spend a lot of time sort of just like whenever I need to get something done, I will head off to a cafe and I'll, I'll write and get way too caffeinated there. So let me guess, you know all of the go-to cafes and spots around town? <laughs> Crippling caffeine addiction was the uh, ramification of that <laughs> discovery. Um, yeah, um, and also just like, I, I suppose going for walks is like where I, what I will do to make myself think more clearly. Amazing. I, I mean, I have been lucky enough to be photographed and videographed <laughs> from you, by you. I don't know you. Uh, term either. <laughs> uh, but, and I've, I mean, I've seen a lot of your work as well. I mean, you do some amazing, amazing creative work. Thank you. But what would be something or what is the thing that you're the most proud of of creating and why? 
Yeah, I don't know if I can, um, I, if I have one specific uh, sort of work that I think like this is the, the most like. Um, I suppose I'm proud of having sort of made a, a career doing something that I find very, I mean, to, uh, appealing to me, like um, something that lets me be creative all the time. Um, it doesn't always necessarily uh, like it, everything settles down to sort of like feeling like a job uh, from time to time uh, but the broad strokes of, of the job that I do I, I really really love and it like gives me that sort of like space to be thinking creatively all the time um, and so that is probably the, the part of my like sort of uh, I suppose artistic journey um, that I'm most happy with. Oh. Well, I'm glad that you are creating and doing all the things that you're doing. It's amazing. And you know, all the <laughs> listeners will be able to see all your body of work. It's very cool. Um, I mean, we talk about things that we're proud of, but I think obviously the reverse of that is have you found maybe it's one thing, maybe it's a multitude of things. What's challenged you creatively and what was or what is the major lesson from that? Yeah, um, what, what have I found challenging? Um, I feel like I need to like take a second and make sure that I give you a good answer. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's hard because I think uh, for some people, and I know for myself, sometimes the challenge is not being in the same creative space or headspace all the time to be able to have that same output. Um, yeah, I don't know yeah. if that's something that you can resonate with. Yeah, so um, something that I just sort of have, have recently come out of and feel much more um, sort of, I, I suppose, encouraged um, in, as an artist and more like an artist um, at the end of is uh, sort of, I suppose in a way, um, I... I read a bit and I sort of came across a more, um, a, a better way I think of like seeing things and creating what I think, you know, was a, was a better output for my clients, uh, but at the same time kind of zapping the magic away uh, from my work. Um, I got uh, I got to a point where uh, my good photos weren't surprising to me anymore. I was no longer sort of pleasantly surprised by uh, my photos because I mm -hmm. kind of knew ha how it was going to turn out before it happened, uh, which is professionally a really good space to be in, but it definitely sort of sapped a little bit of the excitement from sort of coming back to my photos. Mm. Um, and... There's been a, a big sort of like journey of like reading a bunch of sort of photographers that inspire me and reassessing uh, my relationship with photography uh, recently. That's kind of uh, brought me out uh, of that and to a better side of sort of rationalizing like what it is that I do and especially when I'm creating work for other people, mm. um, which is the majority of what I do and still keeping that creative and interesting for me. Who are some of these? Uh, you know, references or inspirations. That yeah. You're... Um, so the big, the sort of like uh, the low point, but also the, the bit that I sort of like bouncing <laughs> from was uh, 
being uh, on on my honeymoon, uh, sort of traveling on holiday, brought a camera, which I don't normally do because um, I like to just sort of like experience things. Very rarely do I get to be without a camera. So I, I cherish not having to have one, but I brought a camera and I got a copy of Susan Sontag's On Photography, Book of mm. Essays. Um, and uh, that can be quite kind of like uh, cutting and um, cynical about uh, the motivations behind why we take photos. And so <laughs> it's, it's a lovely book and it's very, uh, I think, accurate and true and thoughtful. Uh, but when I first read it in uni, I dismissed it outright because I was like, this is making me feel bad. Yeah, um, it was it's not, you didn't want that. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, coming to it again and sort of seeing um, the, the ways that we sort of use, that we privilege images, um, that one of the very poetic things that she says is that um, uh, a picture of, say, a... Um, gully or a stream is no more inherently truthful than say a poem about the same stream um, but we a part of our brain tells us that no that photo is is a literal thing whereas say like a prose description is is more fanciful um, and things like that really sort of challenge the the reverence that we do sort of like in intuitively give to photography um, so that really challenged the way that I was thinking about photos mm. and then um, sort of going digesting all of those ideas and then reading um, a bunch of uh, just very inspired photographers Gregory Heisler, Annie Leibovitz, um, currently reading uh, Dan Winter's uh, book which is uh, by, by all metrics a tome it is um, 800 pages of loose rambling but incredibly um, inspired and uh, interesting to me and that's uh, given me a sort of like uh the same sort of like uh I suppose there's no going back from like you know having seen uh what I do in a different light but I'm coming through it now much more inspired and excited to do it and not nearly as, as cynical well that's good I'm glad to hear that <laughs> I mean, sorry for it's a so very relatable. No, uh, answer that question. No, it's not. It's it's so relatable though. I think we all have those moments. I mean, whether you're a creative or not, moments of questioning and, you know, picking up our lives and what we do and looking at it as a <laughs> little, you know, object and trying to analyse whether it's yeah, yeah I, how it fits or if it's still relevant and we're forever evolving and changing. So, yeah, no. <laughs> I remember in the depths of this, uh, talking to a uh, chef while still on my honeymoon, still sort of digesting all of these ideas, uh, and, and the chef sort of had this, they echoed back the same thoughts. They kind of said, oh, I just cook food for, the, for rich people. And I was like, and it was delicious food, and we were having such a lovely experience, and like quite a, what felt like quite a sort of like cultural experience because it was, you know, incredible Tasmanian food mm. and all like locally sourced and uh, made with a, a huge amount of care. Um, so a very profound moment to us and he was still able to look at that quite sort of sceptically. And so I don't think anyone's immune to it, but you just have yeah. to sort of push past and, and rely on the enthusiasm and, and the fact that there's been enthusiasm in the past, even when you're not feeling it in that moment. Touche, touche. <laughs> I 
I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes, not only environment-wise, that assists us to be creative, but I also wonder, is there any objects or is there something that you just can't live without when you're creating? Yeah, I think, um, funnily, for, for photographers, we kind of all have a bit of a fraught relationship with our cameras because um, we want to sort of look at our creative output uh, from a perspective of not, not needing to rely on, on the camera and the, the most offensive cliche thing that you can ask a photographer is, um, you know, oh, that's an incredible photograph. You must have a really nice camera because that, that sort of takes us as the creative sort of vision out of the equation and just goes like, oh, you've invested the most money in a camera. But uh, the flip side of that coin is that if you take a camera away from me, I cannot do really anything. There, there needs to be a camera for me to create what I'm good at creating. And so we do develop, or I definitely have uh, developed like a, a sort of reverence towards each of the cameras that I've had throughout my career and um, you do you do develop a bit of a, like a um, sort of love and adoration for for the tool that you're using mm. to you know make a living and and to create art uh, digital cameras aren't always uh, particularly inspiring but uh, you sort of attach yourself to the quirks of any uh, sort of given camera and um, then just just recently I have um, taken up uh, film camera film photography again just as a way to, uh, I suppose, dismiss the ideas of just like um, perfection of the image um, and, and take away a little bit of that convenience. And so that has also uh, meant that as much as I try to avoid being too sort of excited about a new camera, a couple of my film cameras are just this object that uh, is, I think, 30 to 40 years older than I am, um, has this, you know, history that completely predates me and has that little bit of sort of like aura to it. So that, I suppose, in a way, gives me a way to feel like a fondness of the camera that's not just like uh, commodity fetishism. Um, mm. It may be just still a little bit, but it's not uh, just tied to having the newest, greatest thing. Um, mm. There's a little bit of like, there's there's you no are. excuse to um, sort of, I suppose, upgrade when the next greatest thing comes out because every all, all of the lineage of the last 60 years of cameras have, um, you know, already already come and gone and I still choose to use that camera. Yeah, okay. and there's something really special about the inability to edit with film. Like it is what it is, right? Um Yes, I I, um, I don't want to dismiss that I, that thought, and I think it it really is like quite liberating uh, for a lot of people that just being able to put an image and the fact that a film image has much more of an actual tie to reality compared to you know a digital image, which it's literally just like computer code until we uh, you know in, until we do something to it until ultimately we print it it just exists as this little like ones and zeros and then it can it can display on our screen temporarily mm. uh that's being said i do edit my film photos probably more than my digital photos oh, really? um i don't want i i 
love what the the camera and and film do to my sense of creativity uh, but I don't want to be bound to what one person at Kodak decided uh, color was going to look like mm, I still want to translate what I feel like I'm seeing and I still want my photos to display that well I mean the reality is there's no rules that's the beauty of yeah and um uh I suppose like going back to that idea of uh the the sort of um privilege that people give to imagery when you take a photo you're really only just taking a very precise recording of the light in that moment uh, across a grid um, with a digital camera and with with film it's a similar thing it's just how little crystals of silver happened to be um, you know permeated with light for a, a short second uh, at no point does it really have anything to do with reality um, <laughs> And then, I mean, for, for film, um, someone is then going to develop your film. Someone is then going to scan it. Decisions uh, that are going to affect um, a lot of the tonality and colour and contrast are being made for you. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I suppose uh, a, a little bit selfishly, I want to take a few of those decisions back and oh, make them myself. Not selfish at all. <laughs> not selfish at all. That is your creative way. I love it. I love it. I mean, I'm sure you have had many people that you have taken inspiration from, but I wonder if you could give one piece of advice or wisdom to another creative, what would that be? I suppose I'll, I'll give one that's specific to photographers and one that's just more Ooh, broad. I love this. Because uh, the photographer's one comes very quickly. Which okay. Which is just knowing that the worst piece of advice I was ever given for my photography was wrong, <laughs> uh, which came in the form of a compliment. Someone said to me, uh, talking about another photographer, oh, they're, they're so incredible, uh, they would never need to crop. And that uh, made my images much worse for about five years. Uh, because I thought that, that was somehow a marker of good photos. Mm. And uh, it took to um, reading an interview of uh, another photographer that I really admire called Jeff Newsom, who's uh, probably one of the world's best wedding photographers. And yeah, he was asked the same question, do you crop? And he said, yes, absolutely. Every image I crop, 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 crop. And so for photographers, don't fall under the delusion that your image needs to be perfect. Chefs will sort of talk about like cooking as being everything from the moment that you decide that you're going to have a meal that night mm. through to going to the grocery store, through to uh, laying everything out, chopping everything up, cooking it, putting on the plate, eating it. Mm. That whole process is cooking and I think of uh, making photos the same way. Uh, you don't want to be hamstrung by thinking that any one step is the whole thing mm. um, because there are very talented cooks who are hamstrung by other parts of, of that sort of process. Um, there are people uh, like the chef that I spoke to in Tasmania who just happened to be in Tasmania and getting ingredients from their mates and they could probably be a much worse chef and their food would still be incredible. Mm. Um, but just that idea of your art being a whole process that starts with the idea and ends with, in, in my case, a photo being seen by someone uh, other than me. You need to think of the, the totality of that. And then a piece of advice for just artists, creatives, everyone generally, um, I would say is to uh, 
and I, I want to preface this by saying that like I've sort of had my practice and I don't think anything about my practice implies that there's this is the only way to do it and there's probably different ways to come at the same set of ideas but to remember that you're a person first and there's a um, quote that I really like uh, by Margaret Atwood that I'll kind of like loosely paraphrases her saying like that she doesn't identify as being a, a writer or a poet even though she's incredible uh, at both she says you know I'm, I'm a person I write I, I make poetry I also go for walks I do pottery I have long conversations and drink too much at parties etc etc um, that idea that you um, can never be defined by any one thing that you do uh, and I agree that... with that so much. <laughs> <laughs> We're multifaceted human beings. <laughs> yeah. Um, society has a lot of uh, sort of like narrative built up about this idea of the person who suffers for their art. Uh, oh, the, because... uh, the, uh, the, the tortured artist trope. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that sort of comes from a, uh, a need for people to have proven to them that that an artist, that they couldn't be an artist because if anyone could do this, then why, why is it important? But we need to sort of pierce through that myth a little bit and be total human beings and not have uh, art totally define us because uh, the rest of your life will find a way of, of barging in and, and reminding you that it's there. <laughs> to finish off this thought, I've always thought of art as something that humans are compelled to do to make sense of our lives and world together and that kind of takes the heat off you a little bit a for being sort of like the the best or for acting like there's sort of some sense of competition or some mm. sense of grand narrative that you need to be playing into or sort of expectations um, and it also means that your art can actually serve you and um, allow you to, to do what I think the art sort of called us into in the first place, what, what sort of got us all doing this in the first place and, and remind us to keep using it to that end. Oh, well said, Josh. That is so beautiful. It is, yeah. I, so much of that resonates with me. I think, yeah, we, we can be tied up in so much of what society expects and put that pressure on ourselves but the reality is is we only are the ones that can control that and to know that yeah there's a bigger wider world of creating that's not just all us and yeah <laughs> so one last question if you could hear any other artist or creative answer these questions who would it be and why? Um, I, I think you should do uh, my mum, uh, Louise Wells, who's a textile artist um, mm. and someone that I kind of like work with and bounce ideas off a lot. And she has a very different practice and just way that her artwork comes together and an angle from which her artwork comes together from me. Um, but she's got a lot to say and I think she's, she's very interesting and um, yeah, very, very sort of thoughtful. Beautiful. Thank you so much for the suggestion. And thank you so much for chatting with me, Josh. This is so lovely. Pleasure. Josh Wells, thank you. Thank you.